Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now. Thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. John O'Leary is the author of On Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. In 1987, John was a curious nine-year-old boy who was playing with fire and gasoline, created a major explosion in his house, and was burned on 100% of his body. He was given less than 1% chance to live, but he did. And... The epic story of survival was first showcased in his parents' book, which was called Overwhelming Odds in 2006. They printed 200 copies of that book for friends and families, and his parents ended up selling 60,000 plus copies. John inspires 50,000 people at 100 plus events a year. He speaks to companies and organizations across industries and is consistently described as the best speaker we've ever had. 
His first book, On Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life, was an instant number one national bestseller. 200,000 plus copies have been sold, and it's been translated into 12 languages. John's Live Inspired podcast is top rated on Apple and has more than 2 million downloads. His second book, In Awe, Rediscover Your Childlike Wonder to Unleash Inspiration, Meaning, and Joy, is also out now. His greatest success is his marriage to his wife, Beth, their four children, and his relationships with family and friends. And John actually had me on his podcast. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm so honored to have you on. I love this time. So Zippy, thank you for making time for me. You shared such a personal, moving, disturbing, inspiring, wonderful story in your book not only from your point of view, but then going through and taking the points of view of all of your family members as they dealt with the trauma of the event. Can you describe what happened and the process and inspiration for even turning it into this very, very inspiring, unique, wonderful book? Uh, Well, there's a lot there. So I'm, I'm going to begin in a place I don't think your question was intended to take us, but I think you have to start there. So the reality is this. I never knew I had a story to share. When, when you're nine years old and you're a little Midwest boy and you get burned on 100% of your body, the dream is not one day, how do I turn this story into a, into a best-selling book, into a movement? The dream is to be ordinary. And, and even more than that, the dream is to disappear, to be gray matter. I, I didn't like to be set aside. I didn't like to be celebrated or shunned. I just wanted to be ordinary again. So for the majority of my life after being burned, we'll come back to it. And after spending all that time in hospital, we'll come back to that probably. My goal was just to be a normal kid. And I did that all right for a long time into my twenties, in fact. So for almost two decades, I was an ordinary little guy. And then what changed ultimately was I'm working construction, Zibby, in St. Louis, Missouri, a little girl calls my phone. I flip it open. So that dates me a little bit, but I flip the phone <laughs> open and I say, hello. And she says, Mr. O'Leary. And I say, oh, you want my dad? And she goes, no, Mr. O'Leary, I spoke to your dad. Mr. O'Leary, would you share your story of being burned with my school? And I had not told guys I was working construction with. I had not really told, I'm married to her now, but I had not really told my girlfriend, really. I had not told friends in college. It was a painful story that I did not like to rehash. But that day at this construction site in front of an F-150, I said, yes, I went, I spoke. And one of the kids' fathers said, John, that was awesome. Would you speak for my Rotary Club? So I said, sure. And then I said, sure again and sure again. And a couple thousand speeches later have finally started to embrace the miracle that is this the story. That is my life. That is all of our lives. And so I, I have to share that because it's not a brag story. The whole thing is the slowly, slow ability to wake up to the gift of life and to recognize how remarkable others were and instrumental they were in guiding you forward in that journey. So even the front of the book that you have in your hands, when the editors of New York first got their hands on it, they sent it back to me and it was a picture of me wearing a suit and my arms were crossed and my hair was up just right. And I'm looking at the reader like, aren't I a badass? Look at me. And if you read this thoroughly and maybe twice, you shall be too one day. And now when you see the book, like, nah, dude, there's no picture of me on the front or the back because it's not about me. It's a weird thing because it's all about me in some regards, but it's not at all about me. 
And so I wanted our, my readers to read it. I want my friends to, who hear me speak to read it or the people who follow us on our podcast to know it. It's not about a guy. It's about us collectively and what we can do together. So I'm sorry for the long-winded non-answer, but I think it's important to know that. It is not a non-answer. It is an introduction. So it's it's wonderful because you do take your own story and make it into these lessons. So your subtitle is The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. And you do take each one and make it a tip or, or an invitation to try something, to do something, to reconceive something else. So take us back, if you don't mind, or you don't have to talk about it, to what happened that day and how your recovery has, and your decision to share has started this whole movement. Yeah. Well, what a gift that is. So as you read through the book, you realize it starts with chapter one and it's my mom who is this unbelievable leader, a a Midwestern woman. We never had any adversity growing up. I'm from a family with two parents, no divorces, no bankruptcy, no cancer diagnosis, nothing. Just it was clean sailing lives for all six of my siblings and me and our two golden retrievers, vacations down to Florida and occasionally up to Rhode Island. Like my gosh, it was a, a idyllic upbringing. And then at age nine, I was involved in a gasoline explosion. About a week before, I watched boys in my neighborhood play with fire and gasoline. Zibby in life, if she can do it or he can do it or they can do it, so can I. So on a Saturday morning with my parents at work, the house was mine. I walked into the garage, bent over a can of gasoline. And the grandiose plan was to pour a little bit of gasoline on top of a piece of paper that was aflame. And before the liquid came out, the fumes from this five-gallon container inhaled the little flame into the can. Massive explosion launched me 20 feet against the far side of the garage and set my world on fire. One moment, I'm a happy, healthy, normal, nine-year-old little guy with bangs and a turtleneck and a good, good life. And then in the next, you know, I find myself in a hospital bed with burns on 100% of my body, 87% were third degree, and I'm dying. And <laughs> you know when you're dying. I mean, some of your listeners and viewers, like, we know when we're dying. So I knew I was dying. But I also knew even before death, I had fear. And the fear was my dad is going to kill me when he finds out. So even though I knew I was going to die anyway, my first concern was before that happens, my dad is going to finish me off because I just played with gasoline. I blew up his home. He's going to be irate. And I hear him coming down the hallway yelling at some nurse, where's my boy? Where's my boy, John? And this man walks into the room and he, he pulls back the curtain marches over to me. My father was a veteran, points down at me and says, "Uh, John, look at me when I'm talking to you. So in my family of origin, like this was the kiss of death. Look at me when I'm talking to you. So I look up at my dad and then he goes, I have never, I've never been so proud of anybody in my entire life. And my, my little buddy, you look at me when I'm talking to you. Today, this morning, I'm just proud to be your dad. And then he says, I love you. I love you. I love you. And there's nothing you can do about it. So I I mean, you read the book, so you know what happens next. But I remember crossing my arms and shutting my eyes and thinking, oh, my gosh, nobody told my dad what happened. I mean, clearly, the, the old man does not know I played with fire and gasoline. I blew up his house. I caused all of this. 
But what I did not know as a boy is the power of grace and sacrificial love and meeting people where they are as they are, like just freeing them to be as they are. Like it, it changed, honestly, fundamentally that day, my dad's love changed me. But our story doesn't open up with that. That's actually chapter seven, my dad's love. It opens up with the story of my mother's chapter one. And my mom walks into this room. She takes my hand right after my father walks out. And she says the words, I love you. And I remember saying to her mom, knock it off with the love. Am I going to die? And when I asked her that question that day, and I've, I've, of course, read and loved your book. So I know we've both been through some tumultuous times in our life. But at this tumultuous time in mine, I was just looking for hope. I was looking for a hug. And I wasn't ready for what my mother was going to say back. So I said, mom, am I going to die? And she says to me, baby, look at me. Do you want to? Do you want to die? It's your choice, not mine. And I said, mom, I don't want to die. Gosh, I don't want to die. I want to live. And her response was good. Then look at me. You take the hand of God. You walk the journey with him, but you fight. John, listen to me. You fight like you've never fought before. Dad and I will be with you. You're not alone, but do your part. Do your part. Fight forward. And this was this opening shot across the bow. It did not make five months in hospital easy or amputations or skin grafts or bandage changes. It's a torture program in in hospital for burn care. It's really hard. None of that was easy because of that first moment, those first conversations. But, but I think the manner in which my dad walked in and then my mother's boldness to call out, John, do your part. I think it made the journey possible. So that, that's how our story begins. Oh my gosh. Just the power of hearing you talk about it. It's similar. I mean, you capture it in the book as well. It's like you just, I can't stop listening and hearing and wanting to soak up like everything you say and everything you write. And oh my gosh, it's, it's like you are a gifted orator <laughs> among other you know, things. Look, my, look, can I cut you off there? I am. I struggled in school. I'm inarticulate. If I'm honest with you, I dangle prepositions. I use the wrong word. I spell their wrong all the time. Like I, I'm goofy, man. But uh, I think that gifted orientation that you might pick up is like crazy vulnerability. That is, it just cuts through the errors and allows us to connect with the message bigger than the one delivering it. Like, I, I, and that's not humility. I, I've, I've been doing self work for a long time. I, I see very clearly my brokenness. But I know the reason why the story works is because it's not about the one delivering it. Like there's just something in it that allows us to imagine ourselves being that mom or being that dad or being that little boy in a difficult situation and wondering, how are we going to weather this thing? What are we going to do next? Well, you're deflecting the compliment, but it's okay. I'll take it. (laughs) We'll go with it there. Talk about the decision of how you structured this book around your experience. I know this is not your only book on fire and you have in awe, rediscovering your childlike wonder to unleash inspiration, meaning and joy. And you've your podcast and you were so nice to have me on your podcast. I'm like so incredibly humbled. Why do it like this? Why not just write a memoir? Why, why include the choices? And I'm sure it's linked to your feeling that what you're doing is to help other people, but talk about this. And also I really found it so interesting how you took everybody else's perspective. So t- tell me about that and tell me about, talk, do you talk to all of your siblings to get, like, just tell me about all that. <laughs> well, yeah, there's so, there's so much in your, in your beautiful question. 
So first, why, why not write a memoir mm-hmm. and why write it? Cause I don't like self-help, but it's almost more like a self-help memoir, autobiography, instructional book on living a bold life. So what, why structure it like that? Uh, even the way I answer that, like, I don't like self-help gurus really. And I don't like, I don't learn much from motivational speakers. Ultimately, what I do when I speak or write or have friends like you on my podcast is bring on these powerful stories in order that you and I might live differently afterwards. That's what the whole thing is geared toward. How do we take someone else's message, whether it's about being burned, going through a painful divorce, whatever else we're going through in life, how do we take somebody else's story and then say, okay, this is what it means for me in my life. And it's part of the reason why even after sharing my story with the Girl Scouts, it took me a long time to imagine why would I do this for another group or another group or another group? Why, why would I ever write a book? Because I've always viewed those things as being done for the person, either holding the microphone or typing the memoir of the book. So I begin every chapter with the question, like chapter four, are you in jail? Well, that's kind of a weird question. Chapter one, a book about life begins with the title, do you want to die? Well, that's kind of weird. So the whole idea is how do we have readers step into this and make a little Midwest boys story about being burned, their story on either coast around the world about life and not my life, theirs. So that's why it's structured like that. I begin usually with the, the chapter opening up with a little nine-year-old boy writing from his perspective. So, you know, I'm laying in a hospital bed and I don't understand why this happened to me. And I write it as a total victim to my circumstances. Like, it's not fair. How did this thing happen? Other boys did it and they got, and so it's this total mindset of how unfair life is. And then the mother steps in and thank heavens for the moms and the dads and the leaders and the rabbis and the pastors and the AA counselors of our lives, man, stepping in alongside of us and calling out our bull. My mother steps in when I'm looking for someone to fix me, do it for me, mom. That's what I want. And she says back to me, do you want to die? Like, I'm a dad now. Uh, I was a new dad when I started writing that book, but I wasn't fully a dad yet. It takes a while to fully understand like love like that. To put the choice of life and death into a child's hands. Like, who does that? Mom. But not only my mom, love does that. Like bold, audacious, unconditional love says you choose it. And if you come on back, I'll be here for you, honey. I love you that much. But, but you've got to choose it for yourself. So I, I try to structure the book in a, in a manner in which was honest about our story that allowed us to tell our story well, but ultimately allow it to be a story that would be meaningful and moving for the readers of it. And then you asked about, well, John, you, you wrote a lot about others. Yeah, I interviewed all of them because I wanted the perspective not to be, I remember it like this and I won Is that how you remember it? No, no. I wanted it to be their perspective, ultimately the perspective of truth. So uh, in the book, you read about my mom. You heard about her already. You heard a little bit about my dad. Sisters. (laughs) I don't know if you read chapter three or not. I did. Oh, my Lord. I mean, because when I speak, I kind of give the highlight reel of our story. I very seldom go into the corners. What those little girls did on the front yard that day, it's unbelievable. So yeah, I had to get, I had to glean their perspective to understand what they felt and what they heard and what they did and why they did it. And all of that ultimately, not why it's moving me on your podcast to tears, but ultimately why it might move a reader, not only to tears, but to movement, to action. I want, I want your life better. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from. So you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Your brother too, by the way, who you called such a hero. I mean, the guy who had not been particularly nice to you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm crying. I'm sorry. I love it, man. Like, this is so raw. Like, I just, I love my siblings and I don't get to talk about them a lot. And as an old man today, I'm 46. We're just normal. Like, we don't talk about, gosh, do you remember that day? Like, we don't talk about that. We talk about our kids and, dude, three soccer practices on one night. I'm going to freaking loot. Like, no. So, we talk about normal stuff today. And then I get to go on your podcast and talk about the great stuff and the painful stuff and ultimately the good stuff of life, like my brother Jim. When you start feeling so emotional now, which piece of it, which sister, what were they saying? Which moment? Right. Well, I was, I'll go about through it in lineation, like it one by one real quickly. So maybe the, the listeners of your podcast, those we've not already rocked to sleep, will uh, <laughs> will hear maybe why all the areas of your as emotional as they are on these three kids. Because that's who they are. They're just little kids, man. My brother Jim was 17. My mom and dad were out at work. Saturday morning, 7.32, explosion big explosion. So large, in fact, that my neighbor's windows blew out. So like, boom, man, this thing rocked the neighborhood and certainly woke up my siblings, including my brother, whose room was in the basement. So I'm out of the garage now, but I'm on fire. Fueled by gasoline, my little sweatsuit was just fueled with gasoline and I'm, I'm a torch. 
on the front hall, screaming for a hero, praying for a savior. And my brother, Jim, who heard the explosion and then the screams comes up, looks at me. I look at him and I remember thinking anybody else, you know, because Jim can't do anything for me. He's a 17 year old self-centered punk. He's my brother. He's normal. I need a hero firefighter. Where are they? Where's my mom? But Jim's the one. And I just think there's so much like we can borrow from that. We, we keep waiting for Biden or Trump or the next president or the next governor or the next spouse or the next whatever to kind of fix us right now. But there's something about saying the one in front of us is the one that's going to do the work. And sometimes the one in front of us is the one in the mirror. Like, let's, let's do this thing. So my brother, Jim, sees me aflame, runs over to me. He picks up a rug, the kind you're supposed to wipe your feet on. And just starts beating me with this rug. And I have no idea what he's doing. Like I'm nine, I'm on fire, I'm in pain. And he's swinging down. And after three or four swings, he drops the rug because he catches. He pulls back, which is what we do when it's about us. And then Jim, as he watches his brother burn more. Now, you know, I'm emotional. My gosh, this is life and death. Comes back into the fight, swings down a fifth time and a sixth time and a seventh and a 10th and a 15th. And two and a half minutes later, picks me up, carries me outside like a baby, throws me on the ground, jumps on top of me, rolls around on top of me. After he completely puts out the fire, he then runs back into the house, calls 911. Then he checks every single bedroom to make sure my siblings are out and the dog is out. 1987, the lifesaver of the year for the state of Missouri was not a firefighter or a police officer or a veteran coming home from war. The lifesaver of the year was a 17-year-old, arrogant, self-centered boy named Jim O'Leary who changed like in real time. He changed and, and eventually it's going to change me too. So that's, that's my brother, Jim, and there's a lot more to the story. And then my sister Amy's in the front yard and she's 11 that day. I'm naked and it's a messy situation. I won't, I'll, I'll spare you the, de the details, but this little girl comes over to me and I'm just melting away in front of her, like almost literally. And she just comes over and she holds me. And isn't that what you long when, you know, say, but you've had your struggles in life when you are on the ground floor and falling farther, what we long for is someone to come in alongside of us and just love us as we are. And I get that morning not from a counselor or a parent, but from an 11 year old sister who just holds me tight. And she says to me, John, it's okay. It's okay. It's going to be all right. I have faith and fight the best is yet to come. And after hearing her say this on repeat several times, I remember saying to her, Amy, I'm looking at my hands. You can see them all on the screen. I'm looking at my body, which is charred. And I say to her, Amy, do me a favor, go back into the house because it's not going to be okay. Get a knife. Come on back out here and I want you to kill me. I'm not okay. And this little girl says to me, <laughs> words sometimes I need to hear. If you want to say them on the podcast, it'd be feel free. She says to me, John, shut up. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Have faith and fight. The best is yet to come. And I just knew she was wrong. So I kind of tuned her out. And overhearing the conversation was the third and final hero. So now you know I'm emotional. This little girl named Susan who hears her brother longing for a knife. And this little girl goes into a house that is on fire. I'm not exaggerating to say the smoke is billowing through the windows and the doors. She makes it into the front hall and then she can't see or breathe anymore, but she's on mission. She goes into the kitchen, 
stumbles her way back there, opens up a drawer, reaches and grabs whatever she came in for, comes back outside. And I just remember standing on the front hall, actually in the front yard that day, watching my house burn, being held by one sister, and then watching our seven-year-old sister, Susan, come out through the smoke. Her face was covered in soot, like black little cheeks now. And she comes over to me and she just throws this cup of water right into my face. You know, I want to die, Zibby. I want out of this mess. Some of us have been there on the call today. And she's risking her life for mine. And then after she throws that first cup of water, she goes into the house a second time, gets a second cup of water, fills it up, runs back outside, throws it on my face. And then, then at age seven, turns and goes right back in. And we think it's nothing short of a miracle that this little girl goes into a house three times for three cups of water, throwing each one directly into my face. I am burned, as you know, on 100% of my body. I'm burned from my neck to my toes, third degree. But the part of my body that is best saved, you're looking at it right now, Zibby, is my face. It's not only the most handsome part of my body today, it's also the part of my body that they took 13 layers of skin for a donor site, they call it. It's from my scalp. The doctors who know credit my sister's bravery that morning with giving them the opportunity of having skin later on to use as a donor set that saved my life later on. So, uh, man, we need us all. So like, I'm such a, in some regards, a centralist politically and racially. Like I, I keep trying to draw people together because what I'm so convinced of, it's that odd, awkward tension between the two sides. We need them both. We need them actively engaged. We need everybody showing up mightily together, taking their next right best step. And on that morning, I had three really different siblings showing up for me. And in them showing up for me, I'm with you today, Zibby, on your podcast. Oh, my gosh. John. <laughs> Dude, that's why I get emotional, man. Jeez. It's amazing. There are no words. It's a gift from God what they did, how they that you were saved, that the whole thing has transpired this way so that you can turn back around and share the gifts that you received and the power and the bravery of your family and yourself and it's amazing. <laughs> it's just amazing. You're all incredible. And it just goes to show what everybody does under duress. You might not think you can do, and yet you might be the one who can save someone else. And even more poignantly, and I think what you said is so brilliant, you are the one. We, we so frequently cheapen our life and this book and our work ultimately, not just as an author, like my work as a human being is to remind people ultimately how much their life matters. In a marketplace where 46% of us report being isolated. So it's, it's a big deal now. This is, this is chronic. This is a real problem where so many of us feel as if our life is cheapened, where we can't really influence positive change around us. I try to step forward, remind the seven-year-olds out there and the 11-year-olds and the 17-year-olds and the parents and the single people and the nurses, and the doctors, and the CNAs and the inmates and the wardens all that your work matters. Like it matters big time. Act like it. Even when you don't feel like it, act like it. Wow. 
John, thank you. And for people listening, this is just a tiny glimpse at the power of the actual book, On Fire, which you will read as I did with sort of my hand over my heart, (laughs) sometimes covering my mouth and just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And ultimately leaving so inspired, but which of course is the point living a radically inspired life. So John, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story. And it's uh, amazing. It's, I just can't stop thinking about all of it. Well, I have good news for you. I, I've had 506 podcast interviews now outbound. So from our Live Inspired channel, my wife has listened to three of them. <laughs> you, Zibby, are one of the three because she was so moved by the book that she wanted to hear the author who wrote it. So uh, you are now in elite territory. Uh, Elizabeth O'Leary, my beautiful wife, has has loved and been so moved by your life. So I wanted to congratulate on that. Well, thank Elizabeth for me. And uh, I really appreciate her connecting us. <laughs> I'm honored and I'm grateful to be your friend. Thank you for letting me Aww. be on. Of course, anytime. All right. Bye, John. Bye. Thank you. Honored. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 